Hello, and welcome to today's edition of Verity Vitamins. Verity Vitamins, this is mind renewal medication. And, and you know, if you didn't know this already, you need, to, you need to take your vitamins, okay? Listen, if you need to get you some Fred Flintstone vitamins, I understand. That's fine. You know, um, no judgment here. Um, you know, if you like, if you like the, 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 uh, the gummy vitamins, that's okay too. But listen, you needs to take your vitamins and, and it's good to take that vitamin C, you know, if you need to drink an emergency pack, go ahead and take that. This is not an advertisement. I'm not getting paid to say that, but, uh, you know, it's good to take your vitamins. You know, if you need to get some vitamin D, get some sunny D, go get out there in the sun. It's the summertime. You, you understand? Um, you, you need your vitamins, but you know what else you need? You need some mind renewal medication. You need some Verity vitamins. You need the Word of God <laughs> to know the truth. And there's a lot of junk out there in the world. And the purpose of this segment is to help us to renew our minds with the Word of God. And we're taking this in bite-sized, small little portions and small little things to help us renew our mind, even in seemingly small or little things. Because you know, vitamins are little tablets that you take, but if you take them consistently, they make a big difference. And if you don't take them consistently, if you're deficient in an area, then that makes a difference too. And listen, uh, the Bible talks about um, standing perfect and complete in all the will of God. And in order to do that, you've got to make little adjustments. It's the little things that often can make the biggest difference. And so that's what I believe the Spirit of God is endeavoring to do in these segments uh, called Verity Vitamins, is we're we're renewing our mind in small little ways that are going to make a big difference. And the more you do that, uh, you'll end up being a perfect man, not, not perfect in the sense of flawless, but a mature man with a transformed mind. Praise God. But it's, it's something you got to do one thing at a time. You got to tackle one thing at a time. And the Lord is good and gracious, and he doesn't uh, expect us to know everything and get everything right away. He's patient with us. But praise God, I believe we're going to... Uh, going to accomplish some kingdom business today in in the renewing of our minds with the Word of God. Amen. I just wanted to take a few minutes today to talk about godly sorrow. That's what was on my heart uh, today for this segment is godly sorrow. And, 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 you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, we're not supposed to be sorrowful. We're not supposed to be full of sorrow. Um, you know, I, I was... I had the privilege of ministering at my church this past week, and I talked about in Jeremiah 31, it, it says that your your soul will be like a well-watered garden, and you will sorrow no more at all. And, and that's the will of the Lord, for us to be free from sorrow. And the Bible talks about not sorrowing as those who have no hope. If you've if you had a loved one move to heaven recently, if you've had something happen, we're not supposed to sorrow like those who have no hope. And, and that's a sorrow that it leads nowhere. It leads to death. It, it's, it doesn't produce anything good in your life. It just takes you down. And we don't want to sorrow in that manner. But however, the Bible does mention a different kind of sorrow. And it's something that we need to talk about. And it's the, it's the sorrow that the Bible says leads to repentance. And this is what I want to talk about here for just a moment. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 5, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church. And he says, For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. But we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. 
Did Paul ever deal with fear? Yeah. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning. Now, that's not night and morning. That's saying M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, mourning, your zeal for me so that I rejoiced even more. He said in verse 8, For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it. Why? For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, (laughs) though only for a while. You see this thing he's saying over and over again, sorry. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. He said, I'm not glad that you're full of sorrow. I'm glad that this sorrow, this conviction led you to repentance. That's what he's glad about. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. You you see that he said you were made sorry in a godly manner that you may not suffer loss. He's saying, I don't want you to lose or, or suffer loss. I don't want you to experience the death that sin brings. I don't want you to miss out on things. That's why I'm glad that you sorrowed to repentance. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, uh, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things you prove yourselves to be clear in this matter. Therefore, though I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor for the sake of him who suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God may appear to you. He's talking about the first letter that he wrote when he addressed immorality that was happening in the church and how he called it out. And he said, you guys need to humble yourselves and get rid of this situation. And and he's talking about this godly sorrow that led them to repentance. And he talked about what this godly sorrow produced in them. It, It produced a fire in them. It produced zeal in them. It produced clarity in them. The Bible talks about how the, the don't despise the chastening of the Lord because it produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness, but, but no chastening for the moment is joy, joyous but grievous. It's not joyful, but it's grievous. You see that word grieve, grief? There is a grieving that should happen over, over sin. But this is not the condemnation of the world that leads to death because condemnation will lead you to death and it'll keep you in the cycle of sin and death. But godly sorrow will show you, watch this, the way out. Oh, come on. Praise God. Some of this is just coming right out of my heart. Godly sorrow will show you the way out. Watch what it says in James chapter 4. We see another picture of this. He, He talks about... People asking for things out of lust and not out of right motives. He talked about a a spiritual adultery and not being friends with the world. He talked about how God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. He talks about submitting to God and resisting the devil. And and he says, draw near to God in verse 8, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord 
and he will lift you up. Now, here's something we're seeing here. This is talking about godly sorrow. It's an act of repentance. There are times when you're convicted of something, when you know you see something that's not right in your life and you judge yourself and you say, Lord, that's wrong. I've been doing wrong. I've been there should be a level of sorrow over that. Now, some people will teach you that you don't, but that's not what the Bible's saying. There should be a level of that, but it's not the condemnation that leads to death. That's a cycle of you beating yourself up that will lead you nowhere. You, you notice what Paul said in 2 Corinthians. This godly sorrow is producing a zeal, a desire to do right. See, when God disciplines you, when God rebukes you, when he corrects you, it doesn't make you want to crawl into a corner and quit. No, it actually produces, it inspires in you the desire to do good. God's discipline produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness. It actually, it, what it's doing is it's disciplining the flesh and it's creating a, a sorrow in the flesh and maybe even in the soul, but it's actually clearing out the, the, all the brush that's been hindering your spirit from having a voice. And then actually what happens is your spirit begins to rejoice even though you're experiencing sorrow in your emotions because your flesh and your soul may be being disciplined, but your spirit is rejoicing. Do you see this? I've had times in my life where I've gotten corrected and I was like, Lord, how is it that I'm sorrowful in my emotions and yet I'm so joyful in my spirit? It was because it was the correction of the Lord. And that was godly sorrow that led to repentance. But you see, the fruit of the Spirit is still joy. But a lot of times, indulging in the flesh, getting excited in the flesh or in the soul can be drowning out your spirit saying, whoa, 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 this isn't okay. This isn't okay. Sometimes celebrating sin, you see what I'm saying here, is drowning out the voice of the Spirit. What's God saying here? Godly sorrow leads to repentance. If you look over in Psalm 51, David is writing a song of repentance. Now, 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 in response to David's sin, he sinned with Bathsheba. He did wrong sexually. He did wrong in murdering somebody. He, he, he messed up big time. And when he was rebuked and he was called out about this, David's response was to write a song of repentance. In Psalm 51, read the psalm. I won't take time to read it all right now. But he wrote a psalm of repentance. Now, we don't see a whole lot of songs of repentance anymore. And yet David wrote one in response. And he said, Lord, have mercy on me according to your unfailing love. And he talked about, Lord, create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. He talked about restoring the joy of my salvation. But see, what, what, this is a, a song of repentance, of humbling himself, but it's leading to the restoration of his joy. Do you see that? It's leading to the restoration of the joy. That's what godly sorrow is about. It's not about condemnation. It's not about beating somebody into the ground. That's the devil, and it leads to death. But godly sorrow, watch this, will restore the joy of your salvation. Oh, come on. Praise God. Godly sorrow will restore the joy of your salvation. Man, some of this is just coming out of my spirit, and the Lord's really helping me. Well, last thing, and I'll be done. Psalm chapter 80. 
This is also a psalm of repentance, and it's a prayer for Israel's restoration. Now, this is something that I feel like the Lord's been quickening to me to pray over our nation. Because, you know, uh, the Bible talked about, if you will humble yourself and turn from your wicked ways, then I will heal your land. But see, we got to be careful about getting into pride and, and, and trying to self-exalt and things of that nature and expecting the land to be healed. No, the Bible says that humility and repentance is what brings healing to a land. And, and this is David talking about the restoration of Israel, and he, and he talks about, um, you know, Lord, you're the one who led Israel like a flock. And he says this in verse 3, Restore us, O God, cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. He, 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 and it's, you go through the whole thing, he talks about the chastisement of the Lord on them as a nation. And again, in verse seven, he said, restore us, O God, cause your face to shine and we shall be saved. And he just keeps saying the same thing over and over again about Israel. And then he goes on to talk about verse 17, let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the son of man who you have made strong for yourself. Well, who's that talking about? Jesus. And, and then he says, then we will not turn back from you, revive us, and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O God of hosts, cause your face to shine and we will be saved. He's talking about being restored and being revived. And it has everything to do with repenting, turning, and turning, returning to God and seeking the face of God. What did, what did it say in Chronicles, the verse I quoted? If you will humble yourself and turn from your wicked ways and seek my face, I will turn and heal your land. This is godly sorrow that leads to repentance, and repentance leads to the restoration and the reviving of the joy of your salvation.